0: part three chapter two of bonaventure a prose pastoral of acadian louisiana this librivox recording is in the public domain bonaventure a prose pastoral of acadian louisiana by george w cable part three chapter two claude of the party that had come in the sicilian's boat four were men and one a young woman she was pretty so pretty and of such restful sweetness of countenance, that the homespun garb, the brand-new creaking gaiters, and a hat that I dare not describe, were nothing against her. Her large, soft, dark eyes, more sweetly, but not less plainly than the attire, confessed her a denizen of the woods. Not so the man who seemed to be her husband— his dress was rustic enough and yet you would have seen at once that it was not the outward circumstance but an inward singularity that had made him and must always keep him a stranger to the ordinary ways of men there was an emotional exultation in his face as he hastily led his companions with military directness to the ticket window Two others of the men were evidently father and son, the son barely twenty years of age, the parents certainly not twice as old, and the last of the group was a strong, sluggish man of years somewhat near, but under, fifty. They bought but one ticket, but as one may say they all bought it the youngest extricating its price with difficulty from the knotted corner of his red handkerchief, and the long thin hand of the leader making the purchase, while the eyes of the others followed every movement with unconscious absorption. The same unemotional attentiveness was in their forms as their slow feet drifted here and there, always after the one leader, their eyes on his demonstrative hands, and their ears drinking in his discourse." He showed them the rails of the track, how smooth they were, how they rested on their cross-ties, and how they were spiked in place always the same width apart. They crowded close about him at the telegraph window, while he interpreted with unconscious originality the wonders of electricity their eyes rose slowly from the window up and out along the ascending wires to where they mounted the poles and eastward and westward leaped away sinking and rising from insulator to insulator one of the party pointed at these green dots of glass and murmured a question and the leader's wife laid her small hand softly upon his arm to check the energy of his utterance as he said audibly to all on the platform and with a strong French accent. "'They are there lest the heat of the telegraph fluid inflame the postas.' He laid his own hand tenderly upon his wife's in response to its warning pressure, yet turned to the sugar-planter and asked, "'Sir, pardon, do I not explain truly?' The planter with restrained smile was about to reply when someone called, "'There she comes!' and every eye was turned to the east. "'Truly!' exclaimed the inquirer in a voice made rich with emotion. "'Truly she comes! She comes! The iron horse, though they call him she!' He turned to the planter. "'Ah, sir, why say they thus many or thus many horsepower when truly?' his fingertip pattered upon his temple. Truly it is mind-power! The planter, smiling decorously, turned away, and the speaker looked again down the long, vacant track to where the small, dark focus of everyone's attention was growing on the sight. He spoke again in lower voice but with larger emotion. Mind-power, thought-power, knowledge-power— learning and thinking power he caught his wife's arm see see sidonie my dear see her enhancing in magnitude so fastly approaching as he spoke a puff of white vapour lifted from the object and spread out against the blue the sunbeams turned it to silver and pearl and a moment later came the far-away long wild scream of the locomotive Retire! exclaimed the husband, drawing back all his gazing companions at once. Retire! Retire! The whistle is to signify warning to retire from too close the edge of the gallery. There! Rest at this point! Tis far enough. Now each and all resolve to stand and shrink not, whilst that iron mare, eating coal, drinking hot water, and spitting fire, shall seem, but falsely, threatening to come on the platform. Ah, Claude, he cried to the youngest of the group, now you shall behold what I have told you-that vast amazement of civilization annihilating space-and also time-at the tune of twenty miles per hour. He wheeled upon the planter. Sir, do I exaggerate? Forty miles, replied the planter. Sometimes fifty. Friends, confirmated more than twice-fold confirmated forty sometimes fifty thou heardest it maximian roussel not from me but from the gentleman himself forty sometimes fifty such the march the forward march of civilization his words were cut short by the unearthly neigh of the engine sidonie smote herself backward against her husband nay Sydney, fear thou nothing "'Remember, dear Sydney, thy promise of self-control. "'Stand boldly still, Saint-Pierre, both father and son. "'Stand!' "'The speaker was unheard. "'Hissing, clanging, thundering, and shaking the earth, "'the engine and train loomed up to the platform and stopped. "'Come!' cried Bonaventure Deschamps. "'Lose no moment, dear friends. "'Tide and time, even less the railroad, wait for nobody.' "'Claude, remember, give your ticket of passage to none save the conductor only. "'Tis print in letter of gold on front his cap. Conductor. "'Stop, he is here. Sir, this young man, inexperienced, is taking passage, for—' "'Shoot him aboard,' replied the uniformed man, and walked on without a pause. "'Claude moved toward the train. Bonaventure seized him by both arms and gazed on him— ''Claude Saint-Pierre. Claude, my boy, pride of Grand Point, second only with Sidney. Farewell.'' Tears leaped into the eyes of both. Bonaventure snatched Claude to his arms and kissed him. It was less than nothing to him that every eye on and off the train was on them. He relaxed his grasp. ''Sidney, tell him farewell. Ah, nay, shake not hands only.'' "'Kiss her, Claude. Kiss him, my own Sidney. Kiss him farewell.' It was done. Claude blushed red, and Sidney stepped back, wiping her eyes. Maximian moved into the void, and smiling gave his hand to the young adventurer. "'Adieu, Claude,' he waved a hand awkwardly. "'Take care yourself,' and dropped the hand audibly against his thigh. Claude's eye sought his father." Saint-Pierre pressed forward, laid his right hand upon his son's shoulder, and gazed into his face. His voice was low and husky. He smiled. Claude? Tears rose in his eyes, but he swallowed them down. Claude, my baby! And the flood came. The engine bell rang. The conductor gave the warning word. The youth leaped upon his father's neck. Saint-Pierre thrust him off, "'caught his two cheeks between fluttering palms "'and kissed him violently. "'The train moved. "'The young man leaped aboard. "'The blue uniforms disappeared, save one on the rear platform. "'The bell ceased. "'The gliding mass shrunk and dwindled away. "'The rails clicked more and more softly. "'The tearful group drew closer together "'as they gazed after the now unheard train.' It melted to a point and disappeared. The stillness of forest and prairie fell again upon the place, the soaring sun shone down, and Claude Saint-Pierre was gone to seek his fortune. End of Part 3 Chapter 2